Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And today we have a very special episode uh, where Paul is joining me here in person and we are just going to talk unscripted about some of the games we've been playing recently um, and just see where that takes us. Uh, I do want to say the reason we're uh, recording without Brendan today is because he's got has a uh, family uh, issue come up, so we're definitely keeping him in our thoughts, and I'm hoping that this surprise episode popping up in his feed and in yours might uh, bring a smile to his face while he's going through some tough times. So, uh, you know, if, if you know Brendan, I encourage you to maybe send him a, a well wish or two. Um, and hopefully we'll be back to our regular recording with Brendan uh, in time for next week's episode. Superb. So, Paul, how's, how's it going? It's going great. And I will say, uh, as many times as I've done podcasts, it's always been like over a computer or like in an app or something. So to be in the same room as a friend talking about board games is unusual. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I did... So I've done, you know, 50 episodes of the Keyforge podcast that were 100% all virtual. Right. This has been all virtual so far. I do have, I have recorded one or maybe twice as a guest on the Birthday Bros Kickball podcast okay. live in Lawrence, Kansas. So I've got a little bit mm-hmm. of experience with this. So I'll try and keep us on the rails. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> that was the second biggest Kickball podcast in Lawrence, oh, Kansas number at two. the time. Number two, Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, so kickball podcast. B- big deal. That is a big deal. Um, so uh, let's jump right into it. Yeah. What Do you want us to start with uh, Terraforming Mars? Absolutely. Ares yeah. Expedition? Because that's the one we've played together. Played it together, and I played it again last night. So, uh, and, and I've not played Terraforming Mars, as you know. So this is my only terraforming experience and uh, I haven't played Race for the Galaxy, which it's very similar to, but I've played Roll for the Galaxy. And I just bought the $30 Target one, didn't back it on Kickstarter, didn't necessarily know what I was getting into, but I think overall, pretty sweet game. Yeah, you were nice enough to bring it over. Uh, so my wife and I played with Paul. Um, Bridget whipped us both at it. Pretty handily in that first play. That is true. Which is pretty typical, (laughs) Uh, at least for me. And yeah, it was a fun game. I was surprised, I guess, how true to the original it felt, Mm -hmm. like in terms of the streamlining. It seems Mm -hmm. like most of the core of terraforming Mars the game, which is really uh, a card game. With which is really built about around like you know what efficiencies you can get out of your cards is there in this one. The mm-hmm. only thing kind of loses out on is the tile placement aspect of mm-hmm. it. Uh, but we talked about terraforming Mars on on this show, and I think my personal feeling, if I remember correctly, Brendan as well felt like to us the complexity of the tiles and all the rules around that. For like the payoff of actual decision space yeah. in original Terraforming Mars was almost a downside. Like yeah. there's too much rules complexity for the payoff. Right. 
so I mean, that didn't bother me at all as a veteran of Terraforming Mars not to have it. Yeah, the, and the way that they handled the tiles in this game to me was a little um, like disappointing because they are laid out in that grid to sort of mimic the look of the original game, but functionally it could have been a stack. Right. It could have been cards. It could have been a die. It could have been anything. Um, and I think, you know, maybe they're planning to have expansions and, and expand on that. It'd be really easy to do. But even just something very simple that would let you, you know, make connected clusters or longest routes, something where the decision to... Where, which one to flip was a little more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So in this one, it's literally just the nine ocean tiles, or so, is it eight yeah, ocean tiles? Sure, yeah. And yeah, so you flip it over, and based on what's underneath, you, it'll get some benefit. But there's absolutely no way to even predict it. Even if it was like split into thirds, be like, over here, you're more likely to no. draw a card, or, or more likely to get a certain kind of resource. Yeah. That might have been cool to at least give like some agency over what you're saying, as opposed to what it is which is just completely random yeah and i know for for people like tom vassal this has replaced the original game and so i would expect that they'll have a whole slew of expansions like they've done for terraforming mars and that will probably help keep it in my collection um the 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 game that i played last night was with the kickstarter edition which had almost no differences the dual layer board felt fine but not essential for me um, it did come with a little insert, you know, organizer, which was nice for the resources. Um, but I pulled off some different combos. I was like the research guy in this game. And so I had cards that when I would draw cards, I would get to look at an extra card and keep an extra card. Is that the one you had when you when we were playing? No, I don't think so. But I did keep choosing research as yeah. my action over and over. And I think that was partly because I felt like I was... My combo relied on me getting like steel production cards okay. or something. Right. So I was just like trying desperately to dig for those cards right. that just weren't coming. To me. I had a similar type of game where I was I had um, I had four titanium, so that's a twelve buck reduction. I'm sorry, mega credit reduction on not all not to be cards. confused with Metacritic. No, very different, very different. And uh, so I was digging for those cards and having some success, but uh, ultimately the other players sort of did all the terraforming faster than me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I like it. I enjoyed it, but I don't know if it'll stay in my collection because it still takes about an hour and a half to play. Yeah. Yeah, it, which is... It's interesting, right? Because it definitely feels streamlined <laughs> rules, complexity-wise, but it didn't take as much playtime right. off of the original game as I might expect. But I do wonder if like some people might not be comparing apples to oranges. Because sure. I've been seeing a lot of criticism of that online <laughs> where it's like, if you are... And a lot of people, like, Terraforming Mars is, a, like, a lifestyle game for sure. them. They've got, like, ten expansions. That's right. And they play all the time. So if, like, yeah. you are that person that has, like, internalized the rules and you play it every week, you know, and, and you're yeah. you're playing that in an hour and a half, and then you play this brand new game and you're learning yeah. it and, and reading the cards right. for the first time, and that takes you an hour and a half, yeah. that doesn't really mean that this is just as long of a playtime, right? Maybe yeah. I could see this game getting down... To under an hour for yeah. an experienced group, yeah. no problem. We were we were humming along pretty quick yesterday um, because they had played they had played the original Terraforming Mars before, and you know I liked the pace of all just kind of doing our things at the same time and paying a little attention to each other and the state of Mars and how it's you know being terraformed. 
Um, that was good. But in general, I steer a little away from those multiplayer solitaire yeah. games. Um, I, I, I think that was kind of... I have kind of two nitpicks with the game. Yeah. The first is that, where you're doing your own thing, um, but sometimes... Which, which also means, like, if, if you just go a few turns, you might have no idea how somebody has, like, achieved Correct. what they've achieved. That happens a lot. And if you're, like, a little bit of, like, a uh, suspicious yeah. person at all, you get... For sure. Or, or if somebody just does something huge in the game, and you're like, that doesn't seem yeah. right. How like, could you possibly have 20 heat already? <laughs> right, that exactly. Kind of, you know. Um, and that's never, like, a fun moment where you're like, um, I'm just going to need you to, like, walk me through yeah. how you did that, because it is... I just think, like, the person... The, there is, like, an inherent accusation of, yeah. like, possibly you messed something yeah. up. Or and, even even hearing, you know, I'm not saying you did do anything wrong. I just want to, like, make sure. It's like, it almost feels like, well, you, you think I'm an idiot? Right. You think I don't know the rules? Right. Exactly. That doesn't feel good either. Yeah. And, and then also there are times when you, like, do something really cool and you, like, want people to yeah. see it. And then, but then that's where like you're like slowing down the whole game. You're like, everybody look at me because yeah. this I'm spending all my credits for this move, and everybody's kind of like, okay, cool. And yeah. then they can't go on. So that's my first nitpick. Okay. The other is it to me, it feels like, and I think you even mentioned this after the game, but it feels incomplete in mm-hmm. a way where it, it feels like they've got canned expansions. Yeah, ready and I'm sure to they go. Do. They have to. Right. And, and which. Normally, I think it's like a little bit harder to tell if like mm-hmm. this is like the complete game. If they're experience. holding back, or... but if, here it really feels like there are. And I think the main thing missing for me is Terraforming Mars has like this really cool system of milestones and awards, where you yeah. have to like pay a certain amount of credits, and you're basically like gambling. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be the one that has the most heat production at the end of the game. And the earlier you do it, the cheaper you is, mm-hmm. it is. So like the first award funded is like five, and the second one right. is ten, and then like fifteen, which is really a fun like risk versus reward thing. Yeah, because you know you're the earlier you do it, the more likely somebody could like surpass you or whatever. And that's such a cool element of the game. So while I didn't mind the missing uh, tile component components, I did miss that because especially. At the end of our game, it feels like the terraforming Mars system in the same here has a tendency to kind of drag out a little mm-hmm. bit because the players who are behind don't want to achieve the end game conditions. Yeah. Right? So you can like actively like, I'm not going to raise the temperature. Yeah. I'm going to force somebody else to do it so I can like hopefully catch up. And it feels not as bad to do that if you're working towards these other milestones. But without that, there's nothing else you're really working towards. So it really does feel like we're just like, okay, the game was going at a rapid clip and now we're stalling for like two or three more turns around the table. So that was my nitpick. I think that's easily solved with an expansion. Yeah. But it's just like, it should really, like that should be in the base You know, that's a pretty common complaint, I think, of games is like, for example, Res Arcana, which I I like and you've done on the show, right? Um, they have, in the original insert, they have pockets for things that have come out in expansions. And so you have a pretty clear sense that that was the plan. Right. And I think for a lot of people, they're like, well, you're holding back. You're, you're trying to, you know, double bump me on the pay. Um, it could have been a cheaper total product overall. But for the publisher, it makes a lot of sense to get a $30 terraforming Mars game in Target 
many, many more people are going to play the game overall. It's going to expand our hobby when that happens. And they're probably going to sell more of the expansion. Right. As opposed to a $60 copy that has two expansions in it. And for some players may end up feeling like an overwhelming barrier to even get into Terraforming Mars. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like clearly me coming at the game having previous experience with Terraforming yeah. Mars, right? And maybe if I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't ever sure. pinpoint that as like something that was missing. And I've heard that the Prelude expansion to Terraforming Mars is like the essential yeah. one. And I can sense that this game could use that too. Well, this game actually has it in it. Okay. So it's... Oh, that's kind of the Yeah, initial... at the beginning you get okay. these two cards that give you like some resources to start out okay. with. And that's the Prelude That's all that it is? It's just that? Yeah, basically. Okay. I thought it would be a little extra like production. So that's actually but... a great point. So we lose out something that's core to the base game of Terraforming Mars, but we actually gained the essential expansion yeah. in this. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so what else have you been playing lately besides a lot of disc golf? Yeah, a lot of disc golf. My, my favorite dexterity game, um, disc golf. But uh, I want to spend some time today talking about my favorite designer. Okay. Uh, Mr. Phil Walker-Harding. Yeah, you're a big Phil Walker-Harding guy. And I know that because, you know, we're both members of some similar board game groups on Facebook, like the board game Geek One, the Dice Tower One. Mm -hmm. And I think because we're friends, like whenever you comment on something, it like pops up in my Mm -hmm. feed. And anytime anybody's like, what's your favorite designer? What's the best designer? I know Paul's coming in with the uh, PWH. That's right. Praise be. And you know that I'm also going to mention Star Realms anytime, and this is sort of the reliable thing. Um, So what I want to tell you about Phil Walker-Harding, which blew me away the other day, I looked, I just, he's had so many games come out recently. We should list a few of the games. Yeah, so if you don't know Phil Walker-Harding, first, best known probably for Sushi Go, even though his name's not on the box because Game Right doesn't do that. And then, of course... Uh, Sushi Go Party and Sushi Roll, which would be the variants of that. Then you also have Imhotep, which was nominated for uh, Spiel des Jahres. You also have, what, Baron Park, Cacao, uh, Archaeology, The New Expedition. I can go on. Did you do Imhotep Duel also? Imhotep the Duel, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Um, Gingerbread House. I mean, okay. I could go on and I've got it. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> in, in, in recent times... Uh, he came out with Summer Camp, which has been a pretty popular Target exclusive, I think, in the last little while, which is a nice, clean intro to deck building, which we played over here, right? No, we haven't played Summer Camp. Oh, yet. we didn't play. We, okay. we made tentative plans to oh, try true, it at some true. point. Okay, so Summer Camp. Then he also just came out with another Target exclusive called Snakes, with three S's at the end, which is kind of a quick social deduction game. Okay. Then he also came out with a game right game called Super Mega Lucky Box, which is like a, a Ganshon Clever Light. Okay. Kind of a bingo style roll and write game. And so I went on BGG and I looked up how many 2021 releases does this guy have? What is your guess? Well, you just said. I just said like three. three. Yeah. So it's got to be more than that. It's, it's more than three. <laughs> I'm going to go with. Five. It's nine. Holy crap. It's nine games in a year, which I can't understand how. Because Do you know um, how many he's credited with like total? Overall, it's many. Okay. I mean, it's... Because the ones point, you mentioned, I would have assumed like that. And I think 
I would have assumed that was kind of like the bulk it, of his catalog. It's it's a lot of it, but I also named you mean like ten, 10 games, yeah, you 10. know, and and I can but think of nine five, right? to ten yeah. is like a massive. Well, that's a huge catalog, and those games are selling everywhere, yeah. right? So he, he does have more, and I've collected even like some of his earliest games that are pretty hard to find, and they're just. He does such a good job of taking ideas and boiling them down to just working and being such a clean, good thing. Yeah. So what is it? I think you're already starting to answer this, but what is it about his design aesthetic that you think calls you so much? Because I mean, when you, I haven't played all these games. I've played a handful of them. And I think, you know, you can sort of identify identify them as like clean, light, Mm -hmm games really yeah, almost almost gateway kind of gateway plus sometimes yeah but these are things that you can you know I, I taught summer camp to my wife who does not play games does not enjoy games she the next day said she would play it again and played it again with my mom my mom played it having never played deck building games there's some things for them to like work out but the fact that he can do that over and over i think is really impressive yeah um but it also fits my style of game, which is like 45 minutes to an hour, pretty easy introduction with strategic choices to be made. Right. You know? And the, what blows me away constantly is that he'll, you know, he doesn't, he has a series of games that are similar, like the Sushi Go line. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, there's like Gingerbread, um, Gingerbread House rather, Baron Park and Llama Land coming out this year, which are kind of a trio, okay. trilogy. Um, but he... Reaches out into rolling rights, reaches out into party games. He's got like a code name style game coming out. And that just blows me away. I haven't played Summer Camp yet, but I'm interested in playing it. Yeah. I heard them talk about it on the Board Game Barrage podcast. And I don't want to misquote them, but the impression I got from it was that it was almost a call back in some way to like an like an older version iteration of deck builder model, like almost like Dominion yeah. style. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Dominion is one of those games where you're genuinely just building a deck and you score your deck at the end of the game. Right. As, as, you know, expansions aside. In this game, in, the, in sort of modern deck builders, you have uh, some board or some game state that you're modifying, right? Right. Uh, in this one, you have a, a board. But you're just racing on three tracks. Okay. So it's a pretty simple thing. Um, and like Dominion, where you would have ten cards out on the thing, you have three sets of cards here. And those are the three tracks you're racing up. And each set has a little different flavor. So every game has a little different flavor. And there's seven sets in the game, you know. Um, there's nothing crazy about it. But uh, it, it does give you some cool choices the way that he, he works the economy is every card can be spent for a buck. So you can always have five bucks on your turn, well, pretty much. Um, some cards will give you extra, and all the food cards give you extra. And throughout the game, you get these little snack treats, which are kind of savable bucks that you can spend later. And that economy just really works. You know, the game really works. As you race up these tracks, you get little bonuses that let you draw cards, move again. And, uh, you know... It's just a little race with with cards. Yeah, that's cool. Do you think uh, one of the things I think really helps get, you know, you mentioned playing with, uh, you know, people that aren't, you know, 
board game enthusiasts themselves and finding success with Summer Camp and, and maybe some of his other games. I know Sushi Go is a game that I've played with my family and everybody had a lot of fun. I think one aspect that makes a game work well in those settings is that there are like strategic choices yeah. for me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm still making, you know, I can make like yeah. smart choices and maybe that'll give me a better chance of winning, but it's not like guaranteeing that I win. That's true. Right? Do you think that's something that's like a kind of a through thread for some of his Definitely. Games? He has a really consistent style of, with maybe a couple of exceptions, of what I would call a linear point system where the game trickles you points pretty steadily. Um, like in a game like, what's the best example of that? Imhotep, for example. Every time you place a cube on a boat, which you can do almost every turn, you can reliably expect to get two points. Right. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. And so, you know, it, it trickles in points as the game goes along, and they stay pretty well balanced on like a 2-3-4 scale. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, two, three, four scale. And that keeps the game pretty close regardless. Um, the games hang on, I think, pretty small decisions that when you're playing with people that are maybe new to the game, they might make those decisions accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. But but it may still matter to you in your kind of conception of how the game's going as you think about it. Um, that, that That's definitely helping. The only place where he has more of that ramping, like quadratic or exponential style points like an engine building style game would be Gizmos, where you can, you're building this engine and, you know, it's going to be much harder for somebody who's new to the game to kind of figure out that you're about to blow off a massive. Right. Game. Yeah. With most, right, engine building kind of combo y games like that, it's going to really help to know the possible yeah. decision space. If you like know a certain key thing is like potentially coming up, yeah. you can plan for it. And yeah. that's going to be, that's kind of essential to that sort of game system. That's awesome. Yeah. If I need to play more. Baron Park is one that's like been sort of on my radar to try for a long time. I never have, but I have enjoyed Sushi Go, Emotep, Emotep Jewel. Um, Cloud City is another good Maybe one. Maybe some others. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so many. And so last night I played a little game that I... You can't find it. I think it's his first game. It's called Pack of Heroes. And I ordered it from, like, Board Game Geek just to try to get a copy. Right. You know, because I'm that way. Um, and You've got to have the complete I'm trying. discography. There's, he's got a couple <laughs> games that I'm just not going to worry about, okay? But for the most part. Um, and this one is like... Kind of like a mini Summoner Wars where you have a three by three grid and you're playing cards into the grid and they're moving around and doing, you know, basically melee damage or range damage or stunning each other or whatever. But it comes with this, uh, these little packs of heroes, you know, like the, the, what was the one I played? The Data Brigade. They were like all robots. And my friend played the Safari Squad and they were like animal people and they have powers and we found ourselves having a surprisingly good time. Just like doing these little combos. That's you know? awesome. It's simple. Because, it, it, you know, if you if you like that style of game, then you have other ones to play. Yeah. Right? You're going to play a minis game or you're going to play Imperial Assault or whatever. But if you're just kind of a, an Omni game or maybe just trying all kinds of stuff or new to it, just a good way to enjoy playing with somebody. Yeah. It's really interesting just talking about a specific designer, how... You know, board game designers really are like, you know, 
other artists, right? Like yeah. a different or a musician, right? There's sure. going to be different albums. They might mm-hmm. even do like different musical genres. Yeah, but definitely. if you're a fan, like you're pretty reliably like I've found at least for myself going to enjoy their output mm-hmm. or a director who might do like a horror movie and a romantic yeah. comedy or right. whatever. Um, but there's, you're still able to like find those things that make it like that person's work. Totally. Um, uh, but I'm always really impressed by people that can do that and transition from different genre to mm-hmm. genre. I think a similar one to, uh, uh, PWH would be Wolfgang Warsh, who mm-hmm. kind of has a similar vibe where, like, he's done, like, The Mind yeah. and Quacks and Tavern of Doll and all kinds of other, uh, you know, Ganshan Clever we yeah. mentioned, right? Where he's, like, doing these things in such different spaces. Yeah. But, like, for me, I play all of his games I've played, I've, like, you know, I yeah. really enjoy like that. Gets Talk about me. blowing up. Yeah. Talk about showing up as a designer on the scene. That was insane. Yeah. That was a. Those were like all in a few years. Pretty good run. <laughs> that was like a two year run. Yeah. It was like those five games. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic, and I know. Um, yeah, it's cool that people are. Out. I haven't really, in my personal collecting, like dove super deep in any one yeah. designer, but I'm definitely to the point where. If I hear a certain person is like attached mm-hmm. to it, I'm oh, like, sure. oh I, I'll probably I'm there's probably, something there. I'm probably gonna yeah. like it. Well, I'm gonna be bringing them over. You know that much. Yeah, that I don't know how we're doing on time, but I have another game to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. We've, okay, we're like 25 minutes. So in. this is a this is a pleasant surprise. I didn't know much about this game. Where did I see it? I guess Rado was talking about it or something. You know, it just popped up, and it's from the Capstone Games new family line. Capstone Games known for like heavy stuff like right. Lignum or I don't know what else. Anachrony, um, I think. Which one? Is that Anachrony? I don't know. No, maybe not. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is Juicy Fruits. Okay. Have you heard of this? Uh, it, it, you know, I think maybe just like in Possibly. passing. On, I listen okay. to like a bunch of board game sure. podcasts and stuff. And so I just, I just got a copy when it popped up on Miniature Market or whatever. Drove over there, picked it up. And... I think in the first three or four days, I played it like six times. Wow. So there's automatically there's something there. I played it again last night with three players for the first time. And I think it's probably best at three or four. So let me tell you. What yeah, tell me about this game. Okay. So the vibe of the game is kind of um, you've got an island, which is a five by five square grid that you're kind of developing. But instead of kind of colonizing this I was island, say classic colonization. Yeah. Instead game. of that, um, this is kind of your island, and there are, um, I would say, other. Um, I don't know if there are people on your island or nearby islands, but um, they all seem to be kind of people of color, and they give you business ideas. You you pay them, they give you business ideas that you bring back to your island to kind of enhance it. So it doesn't seem terribly colonial or imperial. Um, what's going on though is you have on this five by five grid, there are 12 boats that kind of occupy the outer spaces. So really you have a three by three grid in the middle. And in that grid, you have five tokens, one for each of the five fruits. Okay. And those are banana, lime, pomegranate, orange, and mangosteen, which I've never heard of. Of course. I mean, that makes sense. The, the classic... The classic five. The obvious five. Yeah. And the it comes with insanely large, chunky wood fruit. 
And that is definitely a big selling point for this game. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so on your turn, you slide one of your tokens, you know, north, south, east, west, and as far as you want until it runs into something like a boat or another token. And then as far as it slid, as many spaces as it went, you get that many tokens. Of fruit. S- of that fruit type. Okay. So if I slide the banana north one, I get one banana. And then because that's out of the way, maybe now I can slide something two and get oh, some wow. other stuff. There's okay. a little rush hour vibe. Yeah, there's a little rush hour vibe. They don't ever leave, but the boats that are on that edge have requirements, you know? And if you pay them the fruit that they want, they will leave. Opening a new space on your island... And the boats are the ideas that you bought? No, the boats okay. are a separate thing. I was thinking, like, is the idea, like, sell banana for no, money? <laughs> no, those We'll get to those in a second. Okay. Those do some other powerful stuff, and that's where you can probably get a lot of points. These guys give you a little points, and the point scheme on the boats is pretty interesting, and maybe I'll get to that later. So you pay those guys fruit, you get a couple of points, they leave opening space on your island. Got so it. now you can slide farther. If you clear off three on a side, you can go, you know, four mm-hmm. at a time. These boats are like, we're not going anywhere yeah. until you pay us. Hey, buddy. Or give us I a need banana. three mangosteens or I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the base thing is like upgrading your engine in a way there. On this other board, you have these business ideas. And they're on a grid of like five rows by however many players there are. So each row has a different cost and a different point reward from one to five. And so it might it might cost me six fruits, like three pomegranates and three oranges to get something and I get five points. Or it might cost me a lime and a banana and I get one point. And you can kind of do some math there to see what's good. But then the business ideas themselves also will give you some benefit. So what are the ideas? One idea, let's collect fruit better. So you get a new tile, which you put on your board in some space. And then when it slides, it gives you an additional fruit and it'll give you a choice of fruit. So if it slides three, you'll get four fruits and they could be pomegranates or bananas. That is a good idea. That's a great idea. Let's get better fruit. That's like my idea whenever I'm playing team sports. Like, let's play let's better. Play, let's do it harder, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's on. be better, okay? So that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, however, of course, that idea is taking up space on your board, right? So if you only have that three by three and you throw that business idea in there, now you only have like, Three empty spaces, so you're not going to slide very far. Okay. Other ideas might be like, let's sell ice cream. There's some ice cream ideas down on the bottom. Maybe you sell these three flavor of ice creams and get these points, or those four and get whatever. All five get you a bunch of points. Um, So you get this tile, you put it on, and when that slides, for every space that it slides, you don't get fruit. You instead sell ice cream. That could be a lot of points. There's an idea. That's an idea, baby. Other ideas might just be like attractions on your island, where if I put this observatory, which is just a little one by one, it's not moving, it's sitting, it's occupying space, but it gives me five points. It's great. So it's kind of like that pivot point where late in the game you want to do that. There's even two by two ones that are like 18 points, but it just clonks up your whole island. Wow. Right? I I love that uh, idea. I think doing this show, it's kind of like made me realize something that like I've inherently known, mm-hmm. but just being able to put in terms like thinking through decision space in game, which is like generally the things that I always find interesting in a game are trade-offs. Sure. You know, that is Absolutely. like at its core, like those are the interesting decisions. It's like, I want to do both. Yeah. Like this is both good and bad mm-hmm. and trying to like figure out through 
the efficient pass through a bunch of trade-offs yeah. is for me, like, that's where it's at. So just hearing you describe this game as what sounds like just a bunch of very obvious yeah. trade-offs yeah. sounds really interesting. And my, my mom had that exact moment when she played, and she, she really has played almost no hobby games at all ever. Um, but she was saying, so if I buy that, that's bad. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's bad and good. And then you have to decide when to do that. And she was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, it, it also has like a, a flip side of the business board where there's also a juice factory. And so you get a third option on your terms just to like advance these tokens in the juice factory and get some ports, like a little track movement thing. Then there's business ideas that'll reward you for specific strategies, you know, four points for every beach that you clear, whatever. That oh, kind cool. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like end game scoring. Exactly. Unlocked. That's awesome. That sounds like a really fun game. I would love to give that one a try. Yeah. I uh, also just like the idea of like buying ideas from people yeah. just generally. Yeah. That just like appeals to me. Yeah. I, I always said like like when I was in college and like undergrad and people were like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'll just be like an idea like, guy. An I'm just man. like an idea guy. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you're a bunch of idea guys. Yeah. We're just giving them, you know, money Get for the their tank. service. Like, yeah. 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 But, and the, the thing that I found really, especially interesting about the decisions in the game, and this has come up in how bad I've been in the solo game, which I should talk about a little bit, because there's four modules of solo difficulty and I've, lost all of everything I've played. Um, <laughs> the finding the value in the game is pretty tricky mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, there's a balance between getting more fruit and getting specific fruit. Right. So anytime you have that, I cut you choose type of thing, that's, that's going to give you fits. Um, when my mom was playing, I said, well, just, just try to get as much fruit as you can and then figure out what you can do with it. And that's a fine way to play the game the first time. Um, But then another thing is like these boats. If it has two fruits, it gets you one point. All right. If it has four fruits, it gets you four points. It's already double value. But it's taking you longer to do, which means your engine is slower for longer. The time resource. The time resource in that (laughs) game is, is critical, especially because the end game trigger is some... Like how many business licenses have gone down? So every time somebody gets something from that business idea board, you're running out the clock. Okay. So just those two alone are tough. And then on the board, there are tiles that are strictly worth more, but also in different locations. So you might have in some games, the 18 point tile only costs you two fruit and gets you a point plus the 18 point tile, right? So 19 points for two fruit would be like an insane value compared to the boats I just described. Right. Okay. Or other games. So that that's the ideas you randomly shuffle into all the random. grid. Okay. Yeah. You've got like, I think, 24 tiles and they just go randomly into this grid. Gotcha. Okay. So in a two-player game, you only have 10 tiles out. Right. Which means you might, even not, might not even have any of those, you know, extra good collector baskets so yeah. that you can't do that part of the game. Yeah. Or there might be no ice cream tiles, and so you just don't do any ice cream. Sorry. Yeah. Collecting fruit better yeah. is not for sale. No one thought of <laughs> doing ice cream this time, so we're not doing it. Like, you know, it's too hot. Ice cream is canceled. It's too cold for ice cream. I don't know. Um, so the location of those business tiles will also change. Right. You're never going to find, like, the same path through not the game. Not at all. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, if, if a three... 
is in the top row, then I'm spending two, like a three-point tile, I'm spending two for four points. Okay, but if it's in the bottom row, I'm spending like six for eight points or something. You know, and just the location of those can really change the way that you play. Right. In general, you get more points for spending more fruit, right? I don't even know. That's crazy. I, I haven't even played the expansion, which is a further draw on your fruit. The whole one feeling is like, I need to spend my fruit as fast as I can. Yeah. Obviously, you have to like keep building your engine, but I don't want to. I need to hold it on to it. I don't want to buy bad business things when the game's just going to end. So do you think that this game is successful for families unlike the family line because it yeah. sounds a little it does it? like com like complex I, like maybe I, the rules are simple but certainly like emergent complexity yeah. to really yeah. make good smart choices so my friends asked me that yesterday and they said you know so is this a family game and i said well, it's for a german family <laughs> which maybe that's true i don't really know but i think like a family that's been playing, playing more games. Yeah. yeah i think um i don't know how true that is you know I don't think it's not going to show up in Target, right? I don't know um, what families are going to necessarily be drawn to it. I think the art and components definitely hit the family line. The solo stuff is not really aimed at that, but I do think it's a game that anyone could play. Right. But unlike those Phil Walker Harding games, it's not one that's going to be easy to stay in the mix necessarily. Like you can get just absolutely blown out of the water. Right. So. Would you say it's like. Kind of a family game, like Catan is like a family game. Maybe. Sort of that like complexity. Yeah, or Machi Koro. Okay. You know, which is, I feel like it's sort of similar to Catan in some ways. Or, you know, um, it's something that... Because I would say like Catan is like a family game, but it's not necessarily like a kid's game. That's true. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that what, what it does really well is there's two things you do in the game. Mm. Slide a tile... Spend some fruit if you want. That's your turn. And so any kid can make decisions and still enjoy picking up chunky tiles or chunky tokens and then finding where they can spend them and getting some points. Yeah. That's such that's such an awesome thing. And yeah, I haven't seen the production of this game, but like having just like chunky stackable oh, yeah. tiles, oh, it means so much. It does. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And the colors are really great. For some reason, my mom didn't like the art and she works in, or she worked in creative services. So she's kind of had like an eye for design and art. I don't know what it was that she didn't love exactly, but I think it looks subjective. Really perfect. Of course. Um, yeah. But the, the vibe of the islands is really beautiful. It's got these blues and greens and sandy, you know, tans and stuff. It's really nice. Cool. You got to bring that one over. Absolutely. Because I think it would be right in my alley. I want to wrap up this podcast by running one game by you that I've Hit had me. opportunity to play a couple times. I'm ready. Have you ever played Fireball Island? I have not, but I've seen it on tables. <laughs> so, And I, my friend Matt loves that game. So I was one of the... Uh, I don't know if this is still going on by the time you hear this podcast, but uh, somehow Target, again, another Target game, I don't know. They're doing it incredible lately. They're doing good. If you're uh, in America and have access to Target, it's pretty cool to see all these awesome designer board games showing up in big box store. Um, But anyway, so they had this deal for Fireball Island for $30, and I guess the way I understand it is 
there's going to be a new edition of the game coming out that's like slightly pared back, maybe like a smaller island uh, doesn't <laughs> include uh, snapshots, which is like okay. uh, pictures, like cards. a set collection, yeah. end game scoring element. Um, but otherwise, mostly the same game, and that's going to be retail at thirty dollars. But until then. I think maybe they just like bought out all the reserve supply by Restoration Games. So they've been selling the Restoration Games version, which was, you know, a $100 game, probably more if you back the Kickstarter, uh, for 30 bucks. But they put it in new boxes? No, it's in the same box. I thought the original, I thought the Kickstarter box was like a piece of cardboard. You're right. It is, it is a new box. It's like a real box. It doesn't have like the folding, like outside. Yeah, I've seen the original box. Yeah. So it's in a real box. So maybe it's even an upgraded version of that. But Wild. The difference... The price point is fantastic. Yeah. And I guess the difference, you would know which version you're getting because the original one is Fireball Island, the Curse of Volcar. Okay. And the new one is Fireball Island, Call to Adventure. Okay. So if you're interested, maybe swing by your target and see if you can get a copy. So anyway, uh, it's... Uh, a re-implementation of Fireball Island, which is like an old game from the 80s that oh. involves roll and move, running around an island, and flicking marbles down paths, trying to knock over your friends. And it's essentially the same game right. now. The I guess the way they made it more modern was instead of roll and move, you have two cards in your hand on any given turn, and you choose one to play, um, which could be, you know, which is going to be like move six, and then put the fireballs in the head of the Mm -hmm. giant statue at the top Mm -hmm. of the board to like roll down like crazy or you know move eight and then flick a marble at your friend uh, off the side of the board and it has this really fun element where the game is basically set collection you're collecting treasures Uh, you know whenever you run by a treasure on the board uh, you pick up you pick one up um, and then if you knock over your friend's little standy guy with a marble they have to give you one of their treasures um so it's like a really simple little fun dexterity game right not a lot of strategic decisions at all you know very small but you know you do have literally your only choice is like this This card or this card which could very easily be the same card card. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then also i guess you know know, we love dexterity games so the decision of what marble to flick at which person what's going to be like your highest likelihood mm-hmm. of executing the shot and that can be really fun because it has this pretty funny rule where you can't use a finger and thumb to create okay. a flick yeah, you have one. to like one finger yeah <laughs> so you know a situation come up where it's like i can knock this like this marble is the closest to this person but that person's like on a slightly elevated uh-huh. platform so like can i like project the marble up at yeah. them uh, versus you know trying to like roll it down a different path at somebody else. Could you well, do it? Could you do it like like with your you know you said thumb? You could you do know, thumb. Could you do that? Could you do like middle finger flicking type thing? You know what? Actually, don't bring over any games. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, no, I've lost the spirit of the game. Yeah. I'm trying to game it out. No, I have no idea. But you know, <laughs> from a disc golf sense, like there is a lot of fun in trying to like pick shot your selection. line, shot yeah. selection. Like there really is a fun element there and. When you're putting marbles in the head of Volcar, yeah. you can like move it one click left or right, or you can choose to like move these like trees that are on the island that have like one root sticking out, so you yeah. can like block off oh, your cool. path yeah, theoretically. Cool. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot of fun to be had there. 
Uh, I played it over on the 4th of July. We had some friends over, just had some beers in the backyard, mm-hmm. grilled, and then came in and played Fireball Island. And it was like perfect was for great. that kind of setting. Yeah. We had a blast. And then I brought it home uh, over the weekend. I, I went back to Kansas for my cousin's wedding and I played it with a couple of friends there and just yeah. had a great time. Yeah, just hit, it's right? just a toy. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that, that I realized I like in playing it that is just so fun and I think like kind of ex- magical and exciting about dexterity games. And the same thing happens in like disc golf or sport mm-hmm. or, you know, any other dexterity game. But when you're playing like a pure strategy game, you don't get moments that are exciting in the same way because like the most exciting moments in Fireball Island are like just weird things that yeah. happen with physics. Right. Right. Like um, right. my guy's standing on a bridge, like a precarious bridge, like the marble comes by and like hits the bridge, which like, you know, falls over and my guy lands standing up on right. a space. And it's just like, you know, you put your yeah. hands on your head and you're just like, whoa, right. the space of possibilities like, is I, so much more. Yeah. Like I right? can't believe that happened. Like yeah. how incredibly lucky. Totally. Right. Or the marble like hits the guy and the guy just slides along with it yeah. and doesn't fall. Or, you know, Marble ramps up out of the chute and like knocks somebody else over. Just like all these crazy totally. things happen. Totally. And and the fact that they can happen, I mean like any time a marble is like engaged, mm-hmm. is like everyone is just excited. You don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. Right. You 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 have some pretty good sense of what the turns are gonna look like in Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, right? You're going to get some heat. You're going to maybe terraform. If you do it four times, I'll be really impressed. But not that surprised. Right. That's going to do something good for you. But when you throw a disc on a course and it might skip and bounce off the basket and in or out and throw a marble and crazy things can happen, that is a different level of like... You've engaged the world in a different sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. You throw the, you hit the the perfect putt, but exactly. it's so perfect yeah. that it hits the middle pole and, and bounces right, right back yeah. out. You know, yeah. it's just there's nothing quite like that in like a pure strategic experience. And I don't know. I just think that's fun, and you know, it's I, I've had a lot of fun playing Fireball Island. It's definitely not something that I'll bring out regularly. Yeah. After having the collection, but Sure. For like those like Fourth of July like get together, if people have already had a few drinks mm-hmm. and you don't want to like teach anything totally. with like any rules overhead yeah. at all. And this hobby, this hobby is just about enjoyment, you know. Right. And and sometimes the most memorable things that happen are just silly and fun, you know. I don't think I'll ever forget the time I played inking gold with one of my students, and he and I were the last two in the in the whatever. Uh, temple and he just he was like no i'm just gonna press my luck till i bust (laughs) and i was like what why it didn't make any sense and he was like no i want you to win it made no sense and it was just fun everybody was laughing you know that that those are the moments that are really great for this hobby for sure yeah we talked about that on the carcassonne episode where it's like sometimes something about that game is like sometimes you have the perfect yeah. piece to complete the puzzle mm-hmm. and even though you're finishing features for like other people <laughs> it's like it's, just it's so satisfying it's so just now. so satisfying that yeah. like i'm just gonna go ahead and do this yeah. you know so totally. so there it is i think that's gonna do it wrap for it this episode of decision space paul thanks for joining my pleasure 
Any uh, anything you want to shout out here at the end? I know you have um, at least one recent design credit that's kind of getting a little buzz. Well, the genotypes out there now from Genius Games, and uh, you know, excited to see people able to get that should be in retail these days. I also just want to shout out uh, our disc golfing buddies, Brian Surrey, Jamie Stegmeyer. I got to play with Brian, designer of many games like Paradox Initiative coming soon from Elf Creek Games, Merchants of the Dark Road, many other good things. Uh, Freshwater Fly, awesome games. Um, and finally, a couple of uh, disc golfers from the big pro world, Nate Sexton, oh, hey. Jeremy Colling. If you're out listening to the podcast, hey, what's up? We're big <laughs> fans of yours. Um, just cool to see that the hobby's like all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to say it myself. What a perfect send-off. You can find Decision Space on Twitter uh, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.